Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I'm extraordinarily pleased because I have a Canadian guest today. We rarely get to visit with our neighbors north of the border, but I have Brad Moore. And Brad is the president, CEO of Global Cannabis Applications Corp. And we're going to visit today about some of the most innovative strategies I've heard around the cannabis space. So Brad, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. It's always a pleasure. Brad, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Sure. So I'm an old, like I like to say here, I'm an old marketing guy, right? Who happens to love data. So this is a good fit for me. I spent a number of years at Kodak. I think it was from 2001, 2008. And the fellow who's actually on our board of directors, our chairman of board of directors is Jeff Hazlett. And Jeff was the chief marketing officer of Kodak. And then we got three or four other Kodak guys. And, I, you know, I hate to say it, but it's if one thing you learn at Kodak is how to sell a lot of stuff and some of it not too great to a lot of people. So it, it's a great training place to learn how to, like, go out and go get out there and, and do branding and marketing. And, you know, personally, I feel that this is the one thing where the industry really lacked. Like, it was like a lot of leadership and medical cannabis kind of all over the map. After that, I had the fortune to go out and go start my own first gig and actually understand what it took to run a company and get out there and, you know, put my feet solely firmly on getting out there and working hard and try to apply what I learned in my MBA and like to think I maybe know a little bit more than I actually do, but it definitely changes how you look at things in the world. And then prior to all that, I was an internet guy. You know, I was, I was involved in the internet when I was out selling internet websites, Tom, when they were 28, 8K and somebody would be sitting there waiting for the sample website and it'd be like kind of beating in, you're all, you're going to love this. And they came up to that. And so you know, I've always been on the cutting edge technology stuff. And interestingly enough, I'm old enough to tell this to their audience that my first job, real job job ever was when I got out of the service. I spent seven years as a paratrooper up here. And my job after that, I was selling encyclopedias door to door, which is funny because when you come out of the army, you're very disciplined, you have very short hair and a rather stern look on your face, you know, and not necessarily the most friendly demeanor. If you want to learn how to sell, that's a great way to sell. Let's go sell encyclopedias door to door. But you actually learn how to sell really well. So kind of variety, you know, those jobs all the way up to where we are today. That's a really fascinating background. I'm going to have to follow up with some questions on that. First of all, in the 60s, when we got our first encyclopedias for our house, I cannot tell you what a big deal that was. And that was every family had an encyclopedia. We had Encyclopedia Britannica. But that was really kind of a seminal moment when you as a child, then your parents realized and communicated to you, it's time for you to learn. And this is one of the basic cornerstones of learning. And I've always appreciated that as well. So kudos for doing that for people like me out there. Second thing is, could you tell us a little bit about your experience at Kodak? I was going to ask you about Jeffrey. I'm part of the C-Suite Network and know Jeffrey and work with him as well. One of the most dynamic individuals I've met. But what was it like kind of growing up in a very mature marketing function? Yeah, it was interesting. So I worked with a company called Creo, and Creo was a very innovative 
flat company. I think originally, like, so we were on the printing side of Kodak. It was all about printing was kind of in a still in its heyday and the type of thing. And so we did something called computer to plate devices, which really revolutionized the ability to kind of create, get products out, right? And and it was really interesting because I was on the proofing side. And a proof is, you know, a lot of people don't probably remember anymore, but when you see a book, there's a lot of work that goes into getting that book. And it's actually about the files prior to the print, right? And so my business was on the proofing device. And so I was a channel uh, sales manager at Kodak. So I would get to go to places like go sit down with the head editor or publisher at Time Magazine, New York City, and we would say, hey, here's what you're looking at. Do you want, and a lot of it was like, do you want it to look like this? Do you want it to look like this? And the guy was all, well, we like this. And so, you know, you go over and go talk, get your printer to use our devices. And so you learned a lot about push-pull strategies and how to approach markets. Jeff was so far up the food chain, he could have probably walked, I could have walked by him a hundred times on the street and he wouldn't recognize me. I did have the opportunity to kind of get to know him a little bit more. And that's how our relationship started towards kind of the, you know, when Kodak went through his chapter 11 stuff prior to that. And apparently, you know, I was like the last guy I know in Canada, I think it was at least in the United States too, that Kodak actually paid for their MBA. Like my MBA was sponsored by Kodak. Yeah. So it, my claim to fame is, is when I did my thesis, I, I talked myself out of the job at how my position was overdone. Which didn't make my wife really happy at that moment in time. But yeah, it was Kodak was great. It's about marketing. It's about selling an idea. The construct of the picture is you and your family. And you'll learn a lot that way, right? And going from Creo to Kodak, which was a very Israeli type company, very lateral entrepreneurial and Kodak, which was very hierarchical and structured. It was an interesting shift, but I think because my army background, that was very natural for me. Like a lot of people rebelled and I was like, no, man, like, you know what you have to need to do to do your mission set, get out there, go do it, provide the feedback and then be part of a bigger thing, right? You used a phrase in there I'd like to pick up on, you call it the push-pull strategy. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And it seems like to me, I see hints of that in some of the work for your current business, if I'm reading this or hearing you correctly. Yeah, well, one of the things that you learn, and this is something I was taught at Kodak, and I kind of got further down in my MBA. And I I mean, just as early back as learning, you know, when I was selling, you know, I I worked for Collier's and selling encyclopedias. It's like, when you have a concept and idea, they're called crossing the chasm, right? And those, you got the, the innovators, the early adopters, and then there's the chasm, and then you've got the market. If you're over here with a new idea, and you're pretty sure it'll fly, that gap, a lot of people fall in there and just never get over the other side, right? And a big part of that is to create brand and brand awareness. And as you know, Kodak became synonymous to do with anything to do with photography, right? And pictures and what that meant in a person's life. And I don't care where you are in the world. Kodak film was about many, 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 many things, right? And when you look at it, you have to talk to that end consumer. Now, I'm working in an industry where you have a cultivator at one point, somebody grows something and a consumer at the other. And I mean, that's no different than a lot of places, right? The problem is the data that regulates most industries just isn't there. And the scary part is you've got a medicine that you're putting into your body or something medicinal or that can affect you medicinally. 
And if you're going to put that in your body, you have no data. There's a lot of work that has to be done on education. So while I can go say to a cultivator, you need to do this and you should do that and you blah, 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 blah. For them, it's just something else they have to do that nobody's telling them already that they have to. You know what I mean? Most people, as you know, Tom, they change because of pain, not gain, right? They, when their back's against the wall, they'll make a shift. And corporations are no different. By working, and that's the push strategy, by working with cultivate or with consumers and educating them that there's a better way for them to be ingesting something that can really, really affect them, that pull strategy and education is critical path. So that's what we're doing. That's what I believe is going to get us over the chasm. That's going to build that bridge, right? And so there's been a lot of focus on that in the last few months. Really cool stuff to come that way. So I see that strategy in play here in the States on a personal basis. I hear people talk to me about the relief they've gotten or other positive benefits. Why am I not hearing that from the industry that here's the data, here's what we can show you, here's how it could help you if you're willing to try it? So once again, everything is about a P&L statement, right? And if you've got to add in layers of rules and regulations, then you're going to affect it. Now, you got to wind it all the way back to the beginning. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with a plant. We're dealing with a, you know, a plant with hundreds of cannabinoids and terpenes. It's a very complex plant. And, you know, as far as they are in understanding it, it's not like it's a formulation. So, for example, we make a vaccine, we make a pill, whatever. There's a pharmaceutical approach to go through, an FDA or Health Canada type of approach. It's a gated approach, right? You got to do, you got to do this before you get to here. And just by the nature of being a plant, let's say, for example, you give somebody placebo. Well, what are you going to give them in cannabis? Let's say, for example, I'm not going to. I make the joke. What are you going to give them? Regular smoke? No. Let's. Uh, I'll be a bit more serious. But what are you going to say? Okay, here's a tincture, which is an oil-based, cannabis oil-based product. Is it just going to be the olive oil? Because a tincture just usually is extracts from CBD, and it's and you put olive oil. So how do you you, you see the quandary there? Like, and you have a plant. And my wonderful grandmother from Ireland, it's like her saying potatoes are good for knee swelling. Well, you know, grams that one might have been, but I'm pretty sure the next one coming out of the ground because it's a plant probably isn't going to be exactly like this one. And that's the problem there, Tom, right? And it's like, even if clone and Dolly the sheep, the sheep's still different, right? It's still different. And that's that's where you get into it. And because that's the start point, regulators, you look at the regulatory framework around the world, some schedule one, some is a da, 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 da. And so it's all over the map. And so in Canada, the, the government here said, you know, instead of trying to figure this out, let's just make it like a bottle of wine. And you go tax yourself and we'll tax it. So that's the challenge. Here's the crazy part. Get this. If you walk into one of those dispensaries, they'll go buy something like a bottle of wine. It's what you want for cannabis. If you walk in there and ask a medical question, they have to legally walk you out the door. You have to go through the health system. And the crazy part about that is nobody on the health system knows any more than the guy in the dispensary. It's a lack of data. That's the problem. It's a lack of data. There's no regulations to enforce to change that. We said, okay, let's work with some innovative technologies and get that changed. I got to tell you, I've always been a big patient advocacy person on this stuff. And it's just nothing more for like seeing like the tail's wagging the dog and that tail is the cultivator. My experience changed last year in September when I got diagnosed having a colonoscopy with cancer, like this last September. 
And I went through 25 radiation and 27 chemo appointment treatments in a matter of five weeks. And, you know, I was, I was a hurting unit for a long time. And, you know, my post aftercare all through this last December and this January and part of February, I had 17 prescriptions there again. I mean, I knew a lot of more opioid based, but I, I couldn't function. Like I just couldn't function. If you're thinking that there wasn't something that I'd want to take, but Tom, would I put something into my body that I might cause a seizure because I don't know what's in it and how it's working and add that to what I was going through? No, no. And that's the whole point for patients. It's that advocacy. We need to do better for people, whether you're a mom in the suburbs with a kid in epilepsy or you're somebody like myself that out of the blue one day, you got cancer, you know. So let me turn to Global Cannabis Applications Corp and ask you what really attracted you to this business? Well, it was when I took over the company, it wasn't Global Cannabis. I switched it. It was a student buy sell. It was kind of cool. It was the opportunity was put in front of me. I was pretty good at marketing. It was about, you know, this is pre Facebook marketplace. If any of us can remember those days, it went it's like when apps like let go were out there and and I took it over and I was good at marketing and I got a lot of downloads. It's weird. It, it was about buy sell for students on campuses. And I didn't mean it, but we had different language pages. And then the pages had to do with India. It took off. And we became the largest downloaded app for that kind of stuff in India. On Like it was crazy. Like if you look where we were in the, I guess, where we were in the ranking system, we were like right behind let go at one point in one state in the United States. It just kind of took off. And then Marketplace came out and I was like, okay, well, this dance is done. I mean, you don't have to be a genius. And I had investments in cannabis and, uh, and I was doing well with them. And, uh, and honestly, I thought it was a lot of nonsense why I was doing well. I really took ombrage with the statement of medical when there's nothing medical. There might be medicinal uses. There might be the construct in somebody's mind that it can help you. This product can help you with this. But in the true definition of medical, it was all smoke and mirrors. And so that doesn't take away from the people that people that started this industry. But for somebody who's been ingesting cannabis their whole life, has a high tolerance to THC, that might not be the best person to tell you as a new guy, like I have cancer, what you should put into your system because he needs at least 20 milligrams of THC. That would put me on the floor. And especially post-chemo treatment, I would not be in a good position. So I needed real hard facts and that started this journey. It went from fundamental applications to global cannabis applications. So what is Citizen Green and why is that so unique? Well, it gets back to my old Kodak days. It's a brand name. It's that thought leadership. Where's the definition of the brand of medical cannabis, right? And what does that mean? And so we spent a lot of time and it was very natural for us as Kodak guys to think it from a marketing perspective. We said, so there's a lack of absence of information that is creating a lack of regulation, which means there's a lack of widespread adoption, right? It's like the market is not getting bigger. So I said, okay, so there's a lot to figure out down here and how to do it. Let's put a stake in the sand and call that citizen green. Green cannabis, citizens, it's about consumers. And that was, so that was the first branding. If you look at it from a branding hierarchy, GCAC is General Mills, citizen green is Cheerios. And then things like a fixie or prescripti or honey nut Cheerios or whole wheat Cheerios. It's 
but at least it's something people will be able to anchor in their brain and understand. It means one thing, better outcomes for medical cannabis patients. That's what it is. That's Citizen Green. That's what it means. Could I even tie it back to a Kodak moment? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let me turn to the, your process-driven approach. You've alluded to this yeah. uh, a couple of times, but how do you integrate, or excuse me, interconnect technologies to help GCAC drive your process? Well, it all starts off, so I'll take it back to 2017 and 18. If you look at the supply chain all the way through from here to here, you've got, like I said, you got a consumer. You then generally have either a product manufacturer or distributor, depending on how the product is treated. It might go into a tincture, an edible, or just dried flour, right? And then you go into a retailer, and then there's a regulator that may or may, depending on things, they'll be checking things. And it's generally, it just starts off them checking a lab report, THC and CBD levels. That's it. That's all this check in a lot of places. And then you have a consumer. So there's a lot of people in between. You might have, uh, if you're moving from one country to another, you'll have regulators. They're saying you can go here, you can go there. You might have medical people, like a, a medical regulators involved. But what we saw was none of it was connected. It was all disparaging information, and it was very light on the actual value statement. So what I did is when I went, I spent a lot of time in Israel for the simple fact is, I mean, people think we're so advanced in Canada, and I, no offense to the pioneers here, but, you know, we're really not, right? Like, it's not. It's just a recreational program that allows you to buy it now, and we're on to our fourth or fifth iteration of a medical program. You know what the medical program looks like here now? The Israeli one. And that Israeli one's been in place for 20 years. And over there, they have gateways, rules that you can't, if you want to go from A to Z, there's a lot of steps. You got to follow every one. And it's very overly controlled, but it's controlled. And the net outcome is there's a better consumer experience. There's a better patient experience. There's still a lack of the recording of the net overall response. And so you know, one doctor might not understand what happened with another doctor's patients. And so we looked at that, all of that. We said, how can technology make a difference? And that's where we came up the first part dealing with the retailer and the patient. We said, we'll start there. And it wasn't there. It was very innovative. It was very this, it was very that. But it was also, once again, nobody, the consumer didn't know better. And the retailers responded to the consumer and the grower was just feeding stuff in. So we rethought how we did. We released a patent in 2019 in December. It was called Cannabis on the Blockchain. The blockchain was always a bigger part of this, right, for the recording of data. But we figured, and I'd spent enough time, somebody talking to me four months every day in Israel to explain to me what a blockchain is. And I had that aha moment. And then essentially what came out of it, as I realized the blockchain in itself was the heart and soul of this answer. And what it does, as you read in our patent, it creates an infinity loop all the way through. Every step, every step of cultivation to distribution to manufacture ends up with a consumer. And at the end, there's a QR code on a product. And the consumer can scan that. And then if they want, they buy it. And then if they're really motivated, they download the app and they attach their experience to that product, which means they're attaching their experience. This is where it gets exciting. This is the most important thing. It's all these data points are all based on the 
growth, the cultivation and distribution of a one gram tongue. And then at the end of that, there's a consumer experience for that ground. And why is that so important? Because it's a plant and the plant changes. So the goal is to get tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of those unique individual things on the blockchain. And look, as North Americans, we're very savvy about our, about our privacy. The cool thing with the blockchain, it doesn't care that your name's Tom. It's just asking you to put, you get a basically a KYC license thing, you put it on, you put your information on, and then you have hundreds of thousands, the goals have hundreds of thousands of layers of ex- consumer experiences to one gram cultivated, one gram consumed. Now that's cool, right? Now, when you overlay all that and you're talking about dudes with shoulder bursitis, you can do some really neat things with algorithm, get things called averaged efficacy. Which when you think about it, Tom, isn't that what a clinical study does? Isn't it about numbers and percentages? So we look at consumer experiences on the immutable blockchain and we layer all those in and then we come up with average experiences and then we're able to dial in saying this is good for, we work on this. What happens to your body at a given point in time when you use one product a specific product to treat a specific ailment under a set of circumstances. And that's it, buddy. And that's the cool thing with this, right? And that's what we build. And that's what we're taking to the market. Let me see if I can translate that into a, a different speak. Sounds like to me you're looking at continuous monitoring for continuous improvement. You know what? If we pull this off, this could be the largest ongoing, closest to a clinical study in the world by the use of technology, because it creates the same trust factor, always ongoing and layering that information in, right? And why that's important is like, you can't test one thing in a clinical study and then say the one that you're gonna use going forward is the same, it's a plant. You have to measure every gram grown and consumed so that when people look at those numbers, they can see where things are off, why it's changed, what's working well. Wow. I have to say that was not what I was expecting yet. This is uh, really fabulous. Let me turn to uh, a different topic, which is what is the Uniswap community and why has GCAC developed the Uniswap token? So caveat, we haven't developed the token. We've entered into a marketing contract. This is a publicly traded company. We're actually not allowed to own an equity, like sell other equities, right? Now, that statement is an important statement. We are built on Ethereum. That's how we're built. We're a blockchain company, first and foremost. When you look at it, and and I encourage people, this patent that we have that we've applied for, and we look at this whole thing, and you think about all those data points, right? And then you get up the consumer, and just think if you're a regulator, you're like, holy smokes, man, I can write meaningful regulation. So, like all my answers, it's not simple, but I'll, I'll break it down. Cryptocurrency upended the banking system, right? And it didn't upend the banking system, truly. It upended the rules around the banking system because it takes the middleman out. How do the rules apply? They don't. So how do you write a set of rules? Well, it takes a lot of brain surgery. But that's when there's a process that because there's the whole point is to move money from one person to another and to have a, have a safety net around it and to facilitate a transaction, which is what the banks do. That's what crypto does. The blockchain is an offshoot of that. Well, what happens on the other side when there's a lack of data or a lack of rules? 
Now we're getting somewhere interesting. The blockchain allows meaningful regulation to be written. Now we're on Ethereum. We're moving towards, through the launch of Ethereum 2.0, we're an actual working blockchain. Uniswap is where the Ethereum token, the coin, that's the primary working example of Ethereum, of the blockchain working in that construct of on that exchange, on the Uniswap exchange of the blockchain working through their through the, the cryptocurrency, Ethereum cryptocurrency. We worked with Abbey Technologies who put us on our business onto the blockchain. And what we did is we paired a GCAC token through Abbey, Abbey owns it, with it, and we engaged them in a marketing contract. And the reason simple, two things. A, millennials who are now having homes, having kids, moms in the suburbs, getting sick, are cannabis consumers and what else are they? They're cryptocurrency. They're, you know, I'm 55. I'm, you know, I mean, for me to take on a new idea is it's yeah, you gotta you gotta beat the dog a little bit, right? To get them to change his tricks. And but with this marketplace, this is a whole new segment of marketplace we need to market to. At the same time, we're pulling a Tesla Bitcoin move. We're actually putting that on so we went out. And all I'll just say is we bought 100,000 tokens at, at market price. I bought them just like anybody else would. That Put it this way. It launched out at $0.10. Cents, and when I bought them, they are now trading at 46 bucks US. So I have that on my balance sheet. Pretty good way. You know what I mean? So as I as a pup, though, I go to go raise money. I'm all like, do I really need it? I've got an asset now. But, you know, here's the exciting thing. It's a marketing statement. Primarily, it's about what we call cross-buy. The guys at Abbey call cross-buy. It's really, Tom, it's really about there's a lot of people. Like, there's four or five, four, 400 plus token holders now. They never knew about us. That's great. That's part of that pull-through strategy, right? So how does that relate back to the cannabis business? Or is it just an investment to pump up your balance sheet? That's a net side benefit. That's a benefit of it, right? I mean, you know, I don't think Elon puts any, uh, maybe does part of his business that goes on to the blockchain. My whole business is the blockchain. My whole business is the blockchain. If I'm not talking to people who buy cannabis products and buy cryptocurrencies, because, you know, that millennial target base is all in one, the same thing. Like they're using both those things. They're using medical cannabis. They're using cryptocurrency. Like I said, it's not new to them. It's just part of their life. So by showing them a business that's about cannabis that's on the Ethereum blockchain, it like put it this way, I'm not doing it with Bitcoin because I'm I'm doing it with the blockchain that I'm on, that my whole business is on. It's about marketing. It's just about saying, hey, you should expect better. When you use medical cannabis, you need to demand from your retailer who will demand it from the distributor who will demand it from the cultivator that it better have an affixy QR code on, which is our solution. You need to have that on there. So let me change the focus and ask you about Jeffrey Hazlett and his role with the company. Well, Jeff's a great guy, as you know, and he's he's chairman of the board. Just a guy, he just, he moves a lot of things, right? He has a different perspective on things from his years of experience in deal-making. He creates relationships like this. And he goes out and he just puts you in front of the people kind of like, hey, Jeff, this is where I'm at. I've got a little bit of a roadblock. And as you know, next thing comes back, that roadblock gets missed. Jeff's also great as the chairman 
because as you know, he's very dynamic, but he's also very to the point. He's very, like, he's like, there's this side of Jeff where it's like, okay, this is what we need to do. Where are we at getting that done, right? And so as a company, as an entrepreneurial company, an entrepreneurial CEO, it's easy for me to wander off, right? It's easy for me to go down the rabbit holes that seem cool or, in, you know, Jeff's all like, okay, where are we at with revenue? What are we doing to resolve that? What are we doing to resolve this? So he's a very important part of the company and in, in the strides that we've made to date. So we are recording this podcast in late April of 2021. We've all gone through a year of COVID-19 and the coronavirus health crisis. Hopefully we're moving to a new stage. But how did the last year change or impact, if at all, the business opportunities for GCAC? What was interesting, because we actually, at the beginning of the COVID, before COVID happened, we had a huge amount of financing set up, right? We had a significant financing set up. And then everybody's world just, you know, last March, April 2020 got turned upside down. And from that, we had to get creative. And so what we did is we locked down and we just said, okay, we need to, we need to rethink how we're approaching this. And that got us more from being what I would say got us very centric on the blockchain. So we need to get here first. We need a greater emphasis for here and understanding things. And we did you know when we were working on data calculations and points and all this kind of stuff. And we probably spent three and a half to well, three months on that. We had a work cell workbook with 28 worksheets of calculations inside of it. And we became very clear. And it wasn't about like our numbers, financial numbers. So it was about how does it work and understanding every aspect of it. And then very serendipitously, Brian Collins from Abbey Technologies approached me on LinkedIn and we started talking and, you know, we'd always said, okay, we're going to go build an API from our solution back to the blockchain. And Brian has, Brian showed up with this thing and he was very much on seed to sale. And they do, they use his original blockchain solution called TraceLocker actually for moving gas from Texas to Mexico. And it's for the whole construct of legality. So if anything gets, you know, robbed, taken, or it's missing, it's all track and traceable about where it could have gone wrong. And Brian was just very much about sale, very much on the construct about moving it from here to here. And I said, no, there's a bigger play. And as I like to tell everybody, Brian showed up trying to sell me a license. And at the end of the day, I got him to buy a whole bunch of stock. And that really changed things. And changed things for a couple of reasons. A, we now had the right solution for the market where it was there. And we announced that in September. And as if all you got to do is like kind of, I think the sticker prices or the stock price story is kind of more an indication of like we've released 13 or 14 material press releases from last September. And we've grown like over 2000% in our stock price. So there's correlation. Like the more we go this way, this goes up that way. So it's not so much about the stock price. It's just we're executing extremely well. And that comes from getting to that point where we needed to be that was reflective in the patent. But I think also, too, what happened, and this is really interesting, Brian has had, he's not, you know, he's an Irish guy living in Switzerland. He's a very seasoned Pubco CEO. He added a level, not of technology of the company, but a level of greater understanding how to make things work and get it done. So between like him, me, and Jeff and our CFO and our CMO, we just been able to move it along. And, you know, as you know, once you get forward momentum, investment dollars started flowing in and we got in a much better place and we started closing deals. There you go. 
that end of it, it all boiled down to we started selling stuff. And that's what matters. So where do you see this business or perhaps even TCAC in 2025 and beyond? Well, hopefully I'll be retired somewhere. But so 2025, I'm too, I'm, that's, for an old guy like me, that's a long ways away. Two things that really stuck in my mind. 2018 Q4, the European Union came out and said, we need to take this off schedule one. And, but we need more data. They didn't just say, let's make it wrap. We said, we need to take it off schedule one. Then the head of the FDA came out and said, maybe we need to be paying more attention to what people tell us about how drugs work, like, you know, patient data. And as soon as I saw that, I saw, you know what, if we can put this together and kind of meet that original vision that I had back in 2017 about a better way to do things, you know, because like when I said, when I looked at the gated approach, I knew what data we had and I knew what was missing. And I said, how far back can we get here? And what will be the impact of starting here versus there? And how will that resonate with regulators and doctors and consumers? I realized that cannabis was the natural business to take it down. I think the mechanism that we're building can be used in many ways, in many industries. And I think the ability to measure could you imagine, let's just say you're, you're a wine connoisseur, a wine grower, a manufacturer, and that, you know, it's important that how everybody for every sip or every bottle is, and you can layer, you can get all the data from everything about every bottle of Chardonnay you've ever produced with that specific grape and all those things. And look at that data from a consumer point of view on a per bottle base. And I'm not talking about some randomized study. I'm a per bottle base. Look at that and say, you know what? Wow. Everybody was happy except here, but look what happened over here. The pH level changed. We tracked it back to where the problem was. So I think what we're building, and only the blockchain can do this, is it, it creates two anchor points and a set of data that can be utilized for many reasons. And I think that's what's important, Tom. I think what we're doing for cannabis will help regulators, manufacturers, and most importantly, consumers realize there's a better widget. And so I see the company diversified in 2020. I think cannabis is the biggest nut to crack. When we crack that, people will see it. It's all 100% built on Ethereum, on a blockchain. So the fact that I can add, you know, just about $4.7 million USD over two weeks to my balance sheet, yeah, that means a healthy company. That means this company can survive and continue to do the good work. Brad, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on any of the topics we've touched on today or more about the company. Where can they go? So there's two great websites. We have canapscorps.com, which is kind of a mouthful, C-A-N-N-A-P-P-S, corps, corp, C-O-R-P.com. But I'd also encourage them to just go to citizengreen.io, citizengreen.io. And then feel free to email us at info at canapscorp.com. Brad, this has just been a fascinating podcast, and I hope that perhaps uh, I could uh, call upon you in the future and see if we can visit again. My pleasure. Yeah, no, it was great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review. 